God. My head. Oh. What was I drinking? Oh, rats. Ah, gentlemen, you have awakened. I was concerned that my men had overdone the dose of the, how you say, sleeping draft. Oh, sleeping draft. Sleeping draft? They hit us over the head. Ah, exactly so. Are all your marblings with you yet? Gary's marbles are usually in the yard being played with at the best of times. You kidnapped us, you fiend. Kidnapped? No, no. You misunderstand. I've rescued you when you got into difficulty and your plane sadly crashed. And by difficulty, you mean shot down. And by rescued, you mean tied to these chairs. Ah, yes, quite so. Merely a precaution to stop you falling out of them while you are unconscious, I assure you. Miguel... Cut them loose. All right. My, what a big knife. Ah, the better. Would you like a drink? I'll have a pint of lager, please. Simon doesn't drink because he hates fun. So we'll probably want some water. Oh, and a packet of cheese and onion if you have them. Well, luckily for Simon, I only have water. Although I have prawn cocktail, Chris. Prawn cocktail? You fiend. Do not despoil the name of those most sacred of Christ's. Prawn cocktail, you, you monster. You will see the error of your cheese and onion vase soon enough. But enough of this. As I said, I have only water, but you are welcome to it. Come, stand, walk with me. Well, I'll do two out of those three, but you'll have to buy me dinner if you want the first one. Ah, we seem to have gotten off on the wrong foot. Yes, this leg of mine is still tied to the chair. Eh, right. Anyway, my name is Victor Caractor. You may have heard of my brother. Sadly, he went missing in mysterious circumstances recently. Oh, well, I might... I swore that if I ever found out his disappearance was caused by another, I would kill them. Slowly. Painfully and with great satisfaction. Not have ever heard of him. I loved my brother with all my heart. He was like a, uh, well, like a brother to me. His inventions made me millions. He sounds delightful. He is, was. Sorry? Uh, nothing. And those millions allowed me to purchase this South American, uh, uh what would you call it? Evil lair? Yeah. I was thinking ranch, but let's go with what you said. Here, in my jungle retreat, I have time to indulge my various passions and hobbies. Terrorising the local villagers, gun running, torture, macrame and the like. I also have a passion for horticulture. And here, we come to my prize. It's taken me many years and much experimentation to grow a lettuce this big. What? That? But it's tiny. It's barely sticking out of the ground. Ah, but that is just the tip of the iceberg. Come with me. Hang on, was that a joke? Did he just put that there for a crap joke? I'm starting to think that he might be crazy. Play along or we might find ourselves buried under that stupid lettuce. Ah, but come, come over here, gentlemen, my fries. I have been working on this for most of my life. Behold, my steam-powered chair. Whoa, that's amazing. So intricate. How 
does it work? Ah, I'm so glad you like it. Its function is very simple. You adjust the valves like so. Turn this valve thusly. And sit here, like this. And? And what? It's very clever. But um, what does the steam do? Yeah, why is a chair steam powered if you only sit in it? Well, it... No. No! It can't be! No, no, no! So many years wasted! Why did I not see this? Stupid, stupid Victor! Yes, well, this has been lovely chatting, and uh, as much as we'd like to stop and see you descend into self-torture and madness of your wasted life, we should uh, be getting on, hey, Simon? No, this, this, this sham, this is not the reason you were brought here. I believe you are having something I want. Oh, not this again. Look, I'm really flattered. No, not that. Something you brought with you. Is it that CD of Tales from Topographic Oceans I stole from hell? Ah, a classic album. But sadly, no, I already own it. Already own it? I said he was a monster. Hype down, you idiot. Just what is it we have, Victor? The flute from the old temple. You managed to retrieve it, no? No. I mean, well, yes. But it's just an old flute, surely. It is more than that. And please don't call me Shirley. I cannot believe he did that gag. Is there no end to this man's evil? Give it to me, if you please. Hey, you can't break that. It's ancient, probably. Indeed it is. Unbelievably ancient. But see, inside, as I suspected, a roll of parchment. Yes. Yes, walk this way. If I could walk that way, I wouldn't need the Vaseline. Eh, you are very funny men. <laughs> we try. Try a lot harder. Come in here, into my study. For many years, I have been collecting information on a vast ancient prize. There are clues to its whereabouts hidden all around the world. But this clue you have found is vital in the chain, and it will lead me to the next and possibly greatest clue. Over the years, I have collected maps and clues, and so much information you would not believe it. I had to cover the wall with all I had found to make sense of it. See, what do you think? That's it. That's it. The wall's empty, Victor. Again, you've wasted your life. <laughs> you really are pathetic. Everything you've ever done has been a waste. An utter waste. How does it feel to know your life has been a lie, Victor? <coughs> Gary, it's, um, it's the other one. What? Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, yes. Well, that's better. My, what a lot of string. Ah, indeed. Thank you. Each colour marks a different connection. Apart from the purple. That's a local bus route. But this parchment you have given me now leads on to the green string, then the taupe. But yes. Yes, there on the aubergine. That's the next clue. And you gentlemen are going to get it for me. It's on an aubergine. Ooh, I do like a nice aubergine parmigiana. With that nice Italian hard cheese. What's it called? Ooh, yeah, I know the one you mean. Silence! You try to pretend that you are clueless. But I think this is just an act. You will do as I bid, or you will never leave this place alive. It's not an act. Simon really is clueless. Shh! And, uh, why should we do as you say? Because... If you do not, 
Miguel here will send you home. Oh, well, that's not so. A piece at a time. Aha! So you see, you have no choice. You will follow the clues for me, and Miguel will follow you at a distance. You'll never know if he is there or not, but double-cross me and he will make himself known. Known to death. So, well, that seems... uh, Pretty clear. Yep, yep. So, uh, where do we go first, boss? I've written the clues here in this burgundy-hued book. Looks more amaranth to me. Shut up. Follow the next clue, and when he finds the next step, Miguel will send it on to me. Do not double-cross me. What, What, us? Yes. Miguel has a large selection of jiffy bags he is just dying to fill. Fill to death. Miguel, give our friends the map, the book, some supplies, and send them on their way. What? That's it. We just do as he says, or else. Well, for now. Look, we may find the treasure before him. Speaking of which, have you still got the rubies and diamonds we stole from the devil? They're in a safe place. Good. We may need travelling money. Come on, let's get going. Don't walk so fast. Why not? Come on. Are you hurt? No, the diamonds are chafing. Chafing? Have you hidden them? Well, you better wash them before we spend them. Not a problem. Wait, stop. Over there. What? Is that... Is that a sloth? Yes. Now, careful. Slowly move away. Are they dangerous? Well, not unless they charge. Unless saliva can cause a really nasty rash. Oh, God, it's seen us. It's getting ready to charge. Here it comes. (laughs) It's still coming. (laughs) It's gearing itself up for a high-speed monitor. Could be with us any time within the next hour. (laughs) Well, while we wait to die at the hand of this speedy and vicious predator, shall we do a podcast? Hmm. Hmm. Death by sloth or recording a podcast. Oh, go on then. One more won't hurt. Come on then. While we're waiting, which album is it you want us to look at this week? Well, as we're doing solo albums, I thought we'd get to the third solo album by Mike Rutherford. Except... Yes? That thing doesn't exist. No, he didn't. He only did two solo albums. I'm pretty sure about that. He did only do two solo albums, that's right. But instead, he formed a new band, Mike and the Mechanics. So, let's have a listen to the first Mike and the Mechanics album. What, now? We haven't got a whole half hour. This thing's going to be on us in, like, a day at least. Well, exactly, so we've got plenty of time then. Oh, God. And it'll distract us from the impending danger. But, but can't, you, can't you just distract us with something fun? Why does it always have to be Genesis or Genesis-related stuff? Can't we do, I don't know, the Bangles one week or something? Hey, I'm a simple man. That true. With simple tastes. OK, then, OK, then. Mike and the Mechanics. Oh, God. Oh, Mike and the Mechanics. I'm... Bored of Mike and the Mechanics, we haven't started yet. Although I am told reliably they did at least one decent track. 
please tell me that's off this album. Well, you'll have to wait and see, won't you, whether that track is on this album. Oh. But yeah, we've we've bashed Mike and the Mechanics quite a lot, haven't we? Over speak for yourself, <laughs> Tim. Speak for yourself. <laughs> I've just been listening to them. I don't know about you. So this is the chance to see whether that criticism that we've been making is justified. We they've been played for laughs a lot, but is it justified? Shall we find out? To be fair. I haven't heard that much of Mike and the Mechanics. I've heard the odd, mm. uh, like, single, yeah. but I couldn't tell you which goes on which album. So you say we've been bashing them, and it, I, I think it's been in, in, in sort of in good jest because I personally don't know enough about them to say they're terrible. I don't know about you. Well, to be honest, I know their first album, which we'll be reviewing today, and their second album, The Living Years, and I don't really know much else past that. So wait, wait a minute. There's a hole in your knowledge. There's a hole in my. There's a hole in my knowledge, dear Gary. Dear Gary. Yeah. Uh, Sadly, yes. there's also a hole in your face, and it keeps making a lot of noise. So <laughs> can we swiftly move on to this album? Come on, fact me up, man. Fact me up. Yes. So all right. So do you want? Do you want some facts? Do you want? Do you want to know how this album came to fact be? Fact me up, big time, boy. Just the facts, Mammy. So. After Mike's second solo album, which we've reviewed already, Acting Very Strange, you remember that one or have you blanked it out? I blanked most things out, to be honest, due to the massive <laughs> consumption of beer. But I do remember <laughs> that album and the album before that, which we both enjoyed immensely. But as I remember of our review of the last album, we kind of enjoyed that too. Mm, no, I think that's uh, that's that's the beer talking. <laughs> See, the thing is, after several pints, I enjoy a lot of things I probably shouldn't. Yeah, that's that's the equivalent of you uh, going out, having a bender and waking up with a strange album in your bed in the morning. <laughs> Being there, done that. that. <laughs> Slippery went wet yeah. by Bon Jovi. <laughs> no idea how that got in there. Yeah, acting very strange is generally regarded by everybody, including Mike himself, as absolutely terrible. I seem to remember enjoying a couple of tracks off it. I must admit. Mm. Mm. Well, we'll see. But anyway, it's generally terrible. Um, yeah, but act acting very strange was such a massive struggle for Mike to make, um, and he didn't find it artistically satisfying. So he realised that he needed to work with other people. He didn't want to be just restricted to Genesis. He wanted to get out and branch out because there's, this is the point where Genesis was starting to have a lot of downtime. Mm, this was just after their self-titled Genesis album, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. And they'd taken some time out. And Phil was busy recording his next album, the No Jacket Required. So Mike wanted to work and do some more songwriting. So he tried working with Eddie Van Halen, which I think we might have mentioned. That must have been a hell of a collaboration. I don't know what they were thinking of doing, but that would have been interesting. Well, nothing actually came of it. I know. It's so sad. It would have been really interesting to hear that, probably just for the swearing from Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> well, apparently it was, according to Mike's autobiography, it was because Eddie liked to work late at night whereas Mike liked to work during the day, so they could never get together to collaborate. I think that's what midday's for, isn't it? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. But yeah, so so that didn't quite work, so nothing came of that. So he returned to England and he asked hit-and-run music publishers, who are Genesis's music publishers, if they could recommend some songwriters for him to collaborate with. Um, and they basically they went away and came up with a list of songwriters alphabetical order and basically being very very lazy mike just got in touch with the top two ba robertson and, and chris neal and met up with them so ba robertson you might remember from some of his solo songs he had a couple of top 10 hits yeah he had a massive career didn't he he, he had a very small solo career but he is a massively prolific songwriter 
He's written for such artists as Ronnie Corbett, Peter Frampton. Hang on, hang on. Go, go back one. Say that first one again. Ronnie Corbett. Okay, gotta gotta find that. Yeah. yeah. Go on. <laughs> Peter Frampton. He worked with. Yeah. He wrote songs. Uh, he also wrote a lot of songs for Cliff Richard, including Wired for Sound, which is a fantastic song. It was a massive single. That one. Yeah, I remember. It's a great song. He also wrote for Noel Edmonds. Um, I don't know if you remember in the early 80s, Noel Edmonds presented like Swap Shop. Yes, and I do. And they released a few singles under the name Brown Sauce. That I do not remember. Yeah, Peter Robinson wrote those. He also wrote the theme tune to Saturday Superstore. Really? The kids' TV show, yeah. I do remember so that. So he did have yeah, quite a prolific songwriting career right up to the, the early 2000s. There you go. Um, and then Chris Neal, who was a former actor. Um, he was most famous for his lead role in two of the adventures of films during the 1970s, which were British sex comedies. Adventures of a Taxi Driver, The Adventures of a Window Cleaner. I haven't got any of these on DVD, by the way. I think there are three altogether, and Chris Neal's in the last two. No idea. I remember vaguely at the time them being, there were slightly risque versions of films they weren't yeah. they weren't really adult films i think they were just risky well they were like carry on films yes but slightly more nudity i think without the suggestiveness yes um i, I still remember there was bonking in them was there it was bonking in them. i've never actually yeah. seen one but i remember no, the adverts from when i was a child and being mm. on television and stuff yeah they are hugely hugely popular and still make tons of money today get out of town <laughs> I mean, for saying that they're obscure British sex comedies, they're available on things like Blu-ray, and and you know there are the whole books written about these things. It's crazy. Really? Yeah, yeah. I remember them being like third rate when they were out. Well, yeah, exactly. So you know, yeah, there you go. There you go. There you go. But he, from his acting career, he moved into a role, uh, more of a role as a producer. Um, so he's worked with such artists as Sheena Easton, Toya, Celine Dion. Shaking Stevens and Marillion. Okay, there's a couple on that list. If I was him, I would personally not mention when I went for a job interview. Mm. But yeah, there's some big names there. I'll give you that. Yeah, um, he produced a Marillion's probably Marillion's poppiest album, which was Holidays in Eden, which was uh, Steve Hogarth's second album with the band, which many people regard as their weakest album overall. But yeah, yeah. We're, we're not a Marillion podcast, so I ain't passing no comment on that. But at this point, he's actually working as Mike's sort of co-writer, come producer on this album, isn't he? He is, yeah. So he's basically got the three of them together and, and they decide during the summer of 1984 that they're going to go to recording Montserrat, which it's all right, isn't it? Nice. Just for a bit of a jolly. Nobody ever goes, you know what, we're going to go recording Skeggy this weekend. <laughs> they never do that. It's always somewhere nice, isn't it? Exactly. Do you fancy going and recording in Croydon this week? Yeah. Doesn't happen, does it? It's always Montserrat or a Lake Geneva or yeah, somewhere pleasant. Yeah, we're going, yeah. we're going to the Bahamas to record your new album. <laughs> yeah, Great! Definitely. Oh, yeah. what a drag, man! <laughs> So the three of them went out to Montserrat, B.A. Robinson, Chris Neal and Mike Rutherford, uh, and just jammed for a bit, did some bluesy bits. And basically what Chris Neal's role in that was, he would take bits of songs that they were jamming and would add them together to make new songs. So, for example, All I Need Is A Miracle was like that because that was basically three bits that Chris Neal thought would sound good together and put, and put them together. So this is going back to what you were just saying previously, and I, mm. I know very little about the music industry. When you say they went across to Montserrat to record and, and work this out and they had no songs going out there, mm. I'm assuming that label is picking up 
the cost of this at this point? No. At this point, there was no recording deal. There was no firm plans of what to do. It was just literally those three going, let's spend all our hard-earned cash on going to Montserrat and messing about. So basically it was a boy's holiday with a guitar. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Precisely okay. that. It's all right, isn't it? If you can, if you can do it. I would just ask you that question purely on the basis that I was wondering if I could get somebody to sponsor me <laughs> to go on holiday and write an album when I haven't got any ideas of it to start with. Phone Chris Neal. Well, Luke, <laughs> you got the number there. Uh, no. So, there you go. They returned to the UK after they recorded all these backing tracks. So, basically, at this point, they've got loads of backing tracks ready to go. And they've written lyrics, but they've not recorded anything yet. Because they've got no singers. Wow. No idea who to get for singers. So, at this point, then, has, has Mike actually assembled a band of no, songs? He's no, he's, he's not. not. He's got nobody at all. No, nope. he's used some session musicians to record the, the you know, the instrumentation on these backing tracks, but they've got backing tracks. They've got no singers. There's no, Mike wasn't wanting to do a specifically just to do a band, another band. He was just doing it as a recording project. Okay. So almost like a songwriting collective. So if you think back to the early days of Genesis, this is what their original plan was. They were going to be a songwriting collective and not actually record albums themselves. I do recall us saying that. Yes. So, coming back to the same sort of thing as a, his original ambition. But it didn't work out like that, as we know, because they did become a band. But first of all, they needed singers. So Chris Neal knew uh, Paul Young, and that is the Paul Young who was in Sad Cafe. Not the Paul Young who was the solo artist of the 80s in the UK. Exactly. Not the Paul Young who confusingly then went on to support Genesis on the 1986 Invisible Touch tour. That must have been horrendously complicated. <laughs> Mike behind the stage going, "Hey, I know that guy. Hey, who are you?" Or, yeah. or more likely, it'd be Phil. Yeah. All right, Paul Young. I really enjoy your vocals on Mike and the Mechanics album. <laughs> so, no, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. <laughs> you what? He says your name here. No, that's a different Paul Young. You what? More than one of you. <laughs> yeah, like that. So I imagine that was the <laughs> the confusion there. Oh, oh, how how the days must have rolled by. <laughs> yeah. Um, and B. A. Baracus, not really. B. A. Robertson. Really. <laughs> anyway, B. A. Robertson knew Paul Carrick, and Paul Carrick was most recently known for being in Squeeze. And there's your classic lineup. You know, your two singers, but, but. on this album there are two more singers. There are four what? singers. Four what singers crazy on this talk. It's not really remembered with this first album that there are four singers. The two other singers are Gene Stashuk, who was in an American band called Red Seven. Uh, Mike produced Red Seven's debut album, and it's the only album he's ever produced, and he said he hated it. So not the album, hated the experience of producing it. Right. So he's never gone into production from that. Um, and then there was another singer called John Kirby, who was from a band called Heatwave, who I've never heard of, and... Couldn't find any information about. Fair enough. So, so those four. Now, there are a lot of musicians on this album, so we're not going to go into who these musicians are right now. There are four listed musicians on this, but then if you look down underneath in the small mm -hmm. print, there's like thousands. There's there's yeah. numerous other musicians that were involved yeah. in this. Yeah. So in the interest of brevity, <laughs> we're not going to go into that. I'm going to release some bonus episodes. They'll go out to patrons early, but they will eventually be on the ordinary podcast feeds um just going over who the singers are who the musicians are who the songwriters are on this album that's good so that's good not going to go too much into that yeah. i mean you there. talked earlier about b.a robinson and um mm -hmm. 
B.A. Baracus. B.A. Baracus, if you prefer, and Chris Neal and stuff uh, on this. But B.A. Robinson only has uh, actual credits on the first track, Silent Running, doesn't he? That's right, yeah. It was more Chris Neal that was doing the writing on this album with Mike. Mm. Um, but B.A. Robinson does provide some later hits for the band, which we'll go B. A. into Baracus. in his albums. B.A. Baracus, yeah. Um, his famous one, I Pity the Fool, and the other hit, I Ain't Getting On No Plane. Yeah, um, I remember those very well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're very good songs. So he's a minor part. It is literally Mike and Chris Neal who are the driving forces behind this album, effectively. Yeah, I think uh, Mike, Mike did the lyrics, didn't he, on this album? Um, and well, it, he, it's, uh, mostly, it's, mostly. But that's and, where uh, B.A. Robertson came in. He, B.A. Robertson and Mike were lyric, lyric, lyricists more than anything else. It was more uh, Chris and Mike, lyricists. Okay. It was more Mike and Chris that were c- coming up with the music. All right, yeah. But he yeah. left Chris to actually finalise the yeah. the actual songs, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Because he referred to him as, as a good finisher, whereas Mike yeah. was really good at starting a song. He couldn't really finish it very well. So he yeah, said, that's right. you make it sound nice and finish it. And I, yeah, I assume by right. finish it, it didn't just mean on the drums. You know, not enough songs actually finish that way. I wish they did. At least you know where you stood. At least you know where you stood. Yeah. Every album should finish like that. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the album is. Metallica. Yeah. Celine Dion. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. They should all finish with that. Anyway. I agree entirely. Yeah. So there you go. You've got four singers. You've got a ton of other musicians on there as well. Three songwriters. So Mike and the Mechanics wasn't the original name of the band. You know what the original name of the band was. I do. Why don't you tell the good people at home what the original name of the band I was? I wouldn't like to steal that thunder from you. You've been itching <laughs> to say that since we started this. Go on. Tell them, Simon. Tell them what it was. <laughs> so he wanted to call the band Not Now Bernard. Oh, what a good... That, you can see that on his T-shirt, can't you? And this is the weird thing, right? Mm. Chris Neal actually had to say to him, you should change that name to something else. <laughs> he actually had to be told that yeah. that was a terrible name for a band. Not just by Chris Neal. His wife Angie told him to change it, and Tony Smith, Genesis's manager, told him to change it. Yeah, so crazy, see, right? What he didn't realise is that in America, you would say, not now Bernard. You know, funny thing is, I thought then you were going to say there was already another band called Not Now Bernard because I thought, no. no, no, really. But in Britain, it's the less punchy Not Now Bernard. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine it on the radio. And here with their number one hit single in the charts this week, it's Not Now Bernard with <laughs> The Living Years. To be honest, if Mike had got a number one single, I think he would he would have been happy with with whatever it was called. <laughs> well, he did. He got number one single with Living Years. But did anyway. He? Yes, but we'll come into that when we get to that album. See, we haven't even got there. You can't accuse me of not knowing something when we haven't even got there yet. Another example of you doing me down. Exactly. I'm doing you dirty. (laughs) (laughs) Enough about that. Carry on. So Tony Smith came up with the name Mike and the Mechanics, um, which Mike immediately loved and jumped onto. And you know what? I think it's a really good name for the band. I think it's really memorable and it doesn't, it's got Mike's name in the title, but it's not like the Mike Rutherford All-Star Band or Mike Rutherford and his Best Pals Band or anything cliched like that. No, and it also suggests it's a project, doesn't it? Yes, exactly, yeah. I mean, it says that Mike and the Mechanics could mean 
it's Mike, but he is going to be switching the rest of the band round to suit whichever album he's doing. Exactly. It makes it sound like an ongoing project rather than a yeah. defined thing. I quite like that. I quite like the, the name of the band for that mm. reason. Yeah, exactly. And I think it did do him well in future because there were so many lineup changes, you know, mm. people leaving yeah. and coming in. And, you know, I mean, the, the two Pauls stayed in fairly consistently until the death of Paul Young. But then even now, you know, the two two singer lineup that they, they've still got that even now, you know, you've got the more rock orientated vocals and you've got the more soul orientated vocals and those two work together. So Paul Carrick's your more soul orientated in this. Paul Young's your more rock orientated. And now they've got Andrew Roachford, who's a more soulful singer and they've got Tim Hawa, Hawa. I can't say his name. I think, I think it's Hawa. Tim Huawei is the rock orientated singer in the band now. So they kept that, even going through the two singer set, but it's good. Like you said, it implies that there's going to be swapping and changing and nothing's set in stone. Yeah. People are going to come in and go out, which really works. But on this album as it stands now, as they've released it now, yep. so we've got the two Pauls on vocals, yep. got Mike on various guitars, we've yep. got Adrian Lee on keyboard, mm-hmm. and Peter Van Hook on the yep. drums. Yep, and that's the line of two singers. And, yeah, and the numerous other people. But basically, mm-hmm. that's the lineup for this yep. this particular album. And that's going to be the lineup pretty much for the next album as well. So this this album was released in 1985. Yeah, October the 5th, 1985, this was released. Like I say, when they recorded it, Mike didn't even have a recording contract, but um, he shopped it around to some record companies. Atlantic really liked it, so Atlantic bought the option on it. Yeah. Um, and put it out. And it was a huge success in the USA. Um, number 26, wasn't it? Number 26. It did even yeah. better in Canada, where it got to number 10. And in the UK, it got to a mighty number 78. Strange, isn't it, that it did so well in North America, but absolutely tanked pretty much in the UK. I don't want to get into spoilers at this point, mm. which obviously means I am. You don't want to, but you're going to. I don't want to, but I'm going to, because I'm yeah. that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and it's not really a spoiler, because I'm not going to do a, a big review or anything now. But if you listening to this album, it sounds of its time. But although it's nice to listen to and I enjoyed listening to it, it sounds of its time then. But even then, there was so much happening in the UK in the charts. We had dying throes of punk rock. We had big hair rock coming in from mm-hmm. the States. We had new wave. We had new romantics. We had everything going on here. This album would have sounded so twee and old-fashioned even then, because pop music was moving so fast at mm. that point. Yeah. And you had, I mean, at this point, we've got Madonna coming in at this point as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, we had so many different artists, and we had a massive influx of, of post-punk bands from the States coming over, like Blondie and stuff. We had so much going on. Mm-hmm. You can understand how this got buried, because it sounded... Yeah kind of tweet even at that point i mean yeah i mean i think it sounds of its time the whole album sounds of its time but i think a couple of the tracks on here sound like they're from the 70s almost as well yeah no i i I, unbelievably enough i do agree with you i think it does sound of its time wait i need to put that in my diary oh yes i forgot write that down on this date simon once again agreed that i was right okay Back to you. But yeah, it does sound of its time. Yeah, but it was it was still dated at that point, or sounded it, considering all the new stuff that was happening. Yeah, you can see how it got buried over here. I mean, it, it, it did well around the world, possibly because they weren't having such a massive influx of of new materials and styles. Yeah. But over here, we were just being bombarded from every angle by every yeah. every time you listen to the charts, it was 
basically different from last week because there was yeah. so much going on. You know, Mike and the Mechanics would not become successful in the UK until the Living Years album came out. That's when they hit. And this is kind of, this album flew under the radar, even with Genesis fans, really. Um, I mean, I, I heard this before I heard the Living Years, but that was because I was obsessed with finding every single solo thing by Genesis members and came across this and was like, oh, what's this? Don't know what that is. But yeah, it, it's. I don't think it's a surprise, but we'll come into that when we get to the conclusion of the album and the tracks and things. Uh, so there are three singles released off this album. Two of them did very well. Two of them did very well. One of them wasn't released in the UK, um, the last one. Taken In. Uh, yeah, that's right. So Silent Running was released as a single, All I Need Is A Miracle, and then Taken In. Out of those three, Taken In seems like a bit of a weird choice to me it is we won't go on to why it's a weird choice until we do the actual tracks but i do agree with you considering the first two are well one one is a great song the second Mm. one's a really powerful kind of it's really powerful it's a good song taken in not so much Mm. um to be honest if i was the the producer um I'd be richer than I am now, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I probably wouldn't have released a third single off this album because I don't think it's got a third single in it. And no, this one hasn't done it any favours. I agree. I don't think it needed another single. But perhaps that's why they didn't bother in the UK. You know, it's a hungry market in the US for singles because that's the radio play, isn't it? So It is. As we come to track listing on this album, and we won't go into which one it is now, but one of the tracks is kind of a, a Genesis cast-off, isn't it? It is, yeah. We'll come into that, won't we? That's, that's well, an interesting little that's thing. The, that's the only one that's actually got uh, Phil and Tony credited on the actual song, but we will come to that, as you say. We'll Obviously, that, massively yeah. worked between what they were doing there and what they've finally done on the album, but they had to credit them because they were involved. That's so, right. Yeah. Yep. So we'll keep guessing as to which one it is. <laughs> so that's almost all the facts I've got. So what, about, what do you think about the album cover? album artwork dull it's weird isn't it yeah i don't like it it's i don't like, like it <laughs> it's like somebody's i mean photoshop didn't wasn't invented back then no. but it's like somebody's taken photoshop and just gone Bleh, do that and then they've got the like the stickers from um you know from paint 3d and just gone blah, 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 there blah, we go that blah, looks all yeah. right there yeah. you go it's, it's, it's not really i mean as a as a member of genesis and you know tuned into that prog rock mm-hmm. background which they must have sat around and go, hey, yes, you must be doing some really good covers. Who's your cover guy? I mean, he must have had some other people he could have called on to do a good cover. I mean, he's worked with Hypnosis on his last albums. So why not just go, hey, hey, guys, can you do me an album cover, please? And they go, sure. Anything better (laughs) than this piece of tat. But then you look at the single covers, yeah, and they're, they're not. Amazing pieces of work by any stretch of imagination. Better than the album cover. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, the album cover is designed by Lewis Mobberly and Jeff Holpin, who I know literally nothing about. And honestly, if that's the best work they can come up with, I'm not really interested in finding out more. I think the use of the word design is pushing it a little. Mm. I, I get the impression that they had the photo of whoever it is screaming, and then they've gone, hmm, need something else. It's making yeah. it look like he's wearing a bow tie with a propeller. Yeah, there you go. Mm, I still need something else. Why don't we superimpose some engine parts over it? Of course, it's about mechanics, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. What else can we like, do? I know. Let's print it out on a dot matrix printer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, mm, that's your first draft, is it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How are you going to wow us with the final draft? Yeah. Uh, no, that's it. That's it. Oh, oh okay. That was £20,000, well, was it? 
yeah, pretty much. Well, we've not got time to get anything else done now, so it's going to have to be that. Pretty sure you or I could have done something better in 10 minutes. Yeah. Admittedly, we've got, you know, good computers to work with now. And back then, it was probably, you know, cut and paste. Yeah. Um, but, Literally, probably. Yeah. But really, yeah. They could have yeah. put an old cover of Jackie up as a cover and it'd have been better than this or something. Yeah. It's pretty bland cover. So. Yeah. But yeah. anyway. It's coming down in the angles of, of brilliant covers, or even fast covers. It's just it's not going to make it. Not. <laughs> so I've got no more facts for you, so shall we go straight into these tracks then? Why um, not? The music itself might distract that sloth from attacking us, because it's still very slowly approaching. I think it's moved about three centimetres since we last... It is looking very determined. Okay then, so let's go into the first track. The first track is Silent Running, which actually we could be doing that to get away from this sloth. That's a good idea. I know what you're going to expect me to say. You're going to expect me to say I hate it, aren't you? I'm not, actually. No, I'm, I'm open-minded. Good. Since when? <laughs> My mind's always been open. Okay. No, I actually really like this. What a great track to start with. I mean, this is a real ball-breaker of a track, isn't it? It is absolutely fantastic. I think it's, it is a brilliant opener. A great opener for the album. Um, but, but, but it's really misleading. Why? Because... This is like a proper prog song, isn't it? Let's be honest. Well, now, now, let's go into that a little bit more, okay? Because you say prog song, and I'm guessing by yeah. that you mean what it's about, the actual the meaning of the song. Supposedly, and get, get your mind around this, because I did not get this from the lyrics at all, it's supposedly about a guy who's travelled so far into space, light years away, that he sees into the future because he's that far ahead. Which is not mm-hmm. how physics works. I mean, even no. even a dullard know that's not. You, in fact, it's the other way around. You look into the past. But keeping that aside, I did not get that from the lyrics at all. Yeah. So I'm going to say this is a prog song because my four tenets of prog music, right? It needs to have an ambitious composition. 
So this is, I think you'll agree it has got that. It builds up nice and slowly, then turns into a spacey thing and then goes in all over the place, right? It's got experimentation. So there's all the keyboardy sounds at the start okay. and then there's yes. the, the different effects and things going in it. It's got concept-driven lyrics, which I don't think you will disagree with because it's telling a story. Bad I'll concept you. story. Yeah. Even though I didn't get that story, I'll give you that. <laughs> and then it's got musical virtuosity. So those are my four four pin pillars, the four pillars of prog that I think makes uh, prog. I think I think you're fishing on that one. I think you're stretching some points to cover those grounds. You're you're basically you're like a jury that's con or a judge that's convicted somebody being guilty and then are starting to find reasons to, to really sort of prove that point <laughs> all right even if you don't agree it's a prog song i still think it's a misleading opening track because this track is not a pop song and the whole of the rest of the album is full of pop songs yeah i'll give you that <laughs> yeah so you you fire up this album for the first time and you open it up and you think oh this is a bit good progginess is awaiting and then all of a sudden you go into we won't go into the other tracks yet but then you go into pop songs that's just true because this is this is a nice rocky track i Ooh. liked it it's catchy it's um i love it it's got a good rounded sound to it i mean there's a lot going mm. on in there and it comes together beautifully there's no really sort of strange uh, key changes or odd like we've had on a few albums where they've suddenly done a solo of like a harpsichord something really weird you think where the hell did that come from? There's no yeah, exactly. odd instruments thrown in here just for a little experimentation. It's a nice yeah. rounded track. I really like this track. Same. Uh, I think it is a great opener again. Yeah. You know, Mike Rutherford, Genesis, they do great opening tracks. Yeah. Named after a really good sci-fi film as well, Silent Running. Don't you think it's really funny that, that this song is called Silent Running? It's called Silent Running on Dangerous Ground. It's from a film called On Dangerous Ground which is also known as Choke Canyon in the USA. So it's from one film, it's named after another film, and the lyrics are not about any of those films. Yeah, it's a bit like Starship Troopers, the movie. Nothing to do with the <laughs> book at all. I do think it has a really nice guitar solo, though. Yes. Um, by Alan Murphy, who came in just to do that solo. Um, that's really good. Let's not forget a brilliant singing by Paul Carrack on this. Brilliantly on these vocals here. He's supposedly the sole vocalist as well. And what a rock performance yeah. he gives. Yeah, didn't get the I mean, soul in that, but really, yeah, he should do rock. He should do more rock. Yeah. Paul Carrick's supposed to be the soul voice, and Paul Young's supposed to be the rock voice, and Paul Carrick can really rock out when he wants to. Yeah. I mean, as is proved by this. His voice does really well on this track. I was I was, mm. I was knocked out by it. Very good singing. Absolute fantastic performance. I really, match, really match the, the tone of the song brilliantly. Yes. Yeah, he does. I mean, perfect. He's got the right timbre. Has he timbre. Really? Yeah. Does he keep <laughs> so th this was the first single from the album which i think as much as i like the song it's a bit of a weird choice for a single no i don't think so because it's nice it's poppy it's it's rocky it sort of yeah. rings a lot of bells and it's catchy as hell i mean you are going to be humming this after you hear it mm. if this is the only track you hear you will find yourself humming it for the next four or five days it's really good out, out of the two singles released in the uk this was the most successful it got to number 21 yeah i don't think it's the most catchy of the two singles that were released no. Definitely not. I think the next one that was released as a single was even catchier. It did considerably better in North America. It got to number eight in Canada and number six on the Billboard Hot 100 in the USA. So Gosh. pretty good. That's not bad. That pretty is good. not bad. It's not at all. Funnily enough, during the Gulf War in 1990-91, this was banned by the BBC. Yes, song. Bring that bomb by me again, would you? 
this song was banned by the BBC during the Gulf War. On what grounds? It's all about war and religion, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> well, yeah. I couldn't get any of that. I mean, the lyrics are talking about an impending war, presumably. Well, that, to um, be fair, that could, that could apply now. Has it been banned now, then? Well, yeah. Probably. Mm. Um, and also, you could kind of interpret that maybe that's a religious persecution as well, because, you know, it says, pledge allegiance to the flag. But it also says um, maybe you should pray to God, the Father and the Spirit. So, you know. That's, that's very tenuous grounds for, for banning a song, I think. I didn't ban it. It wasn't me. Go complain to Michael Grade or... <laughs> Considering how long it took the BBC to ban Relax, suddenly they get picky <laughs> about lyrics. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's silly, isn't it? That's true. I did think the start of the song as well, you know, the sort of the synthy sort of... Sounded a bit like a Rush song. I can't quite put my finger on which one it is. I want to say something like Distant Early Warning. Also, a little bit like Xanadu, the start of Xanadu. Make up your mind which one you're going to say and then say that. It's both of them. Um, but I can't, when I listen to it, I can't decide which one it is. There's a live version of this song and it sounds almost exactly like the start of Xanadu. Cool. That's not a bad thing. It is not a bad thing. But I love this track. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant opener, brilliant song. Great. I loved it. Fantastic. You loved it too. Oh, you loved it too, I did. Oh, good. So, on to the next track, shall we go? All I need is a miracle. You're going to get one round here. change of pace and style i think you'll agree which is what yeah, I was this one's like this was suddenly very synthy and really 80s sounding yeah. whereas the other very one poppy. i think you know if you'd have if if that was remixed now and a bit more bassy that could be released today mm. but yeah, this probably, one probably agree this one is also i mean don't get me wrong i like i really like this track it's but it's weird because it's really does it's one of the tracks on here that really hammers this in as an 80s album yeah yeah i mean this i think on the album this is probably the one that sounds most like a Genesis 
song of that era, I think. Um, I, I would disagree, but I'm not going to because you'll shout at me. Um, <laughs> but but I think what this thing has more than anything else is, God, it sounds like a TV theme tune. It does a bit, yeah, yeah. I, I could you're see right. this on the opening credits of an 80s, um, not drama, obviously, because it's, it's a bit light for that. You know, you couldn't see us on Law and Order or something, but, you know. It would be um, a quiz show. Because that keyboard that's properly out of a quiz. How did it go? Like going for gold or something. No, I'm not doing it again. Oh, okay. You missed it. If you, if you didn't hear it, you missed no, it. No, no, I, I heard it. I just wanted you to make a fool of yourself again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I love this really upbeat sound and a really, really interesting change of pace. And it's a good toe tapper. I, I mean, this is this is the one I was, I was on about a second ago where you are going to be humming this because that, that yeah. chorus, all I need is a miracle, that will go round and around and around, but not in a bad way. It's not like one of those that drives you nuts. This one is, is actually, it's, it's, I like this track. Yeah, it's a good song. I'm surprised because you don't normally like the very, very poppy ones. Yeah, but... I'm getting older, you know. Pace <laughs> changing. I'll be listening to ABBA next. You love this track. I love this track. You know who else loves this track? Whom? Phil Collins loves this track. No. Uncle Phil? Yes. Phil's performed this live twice. He's performed it once with noted racist Eric Clapton when they did a picnic. <laughs> I think it was Picnic at the Lake concert feel, in France. I feel the lawyers ringing about now. <laughs> um, they did this. And they also did it as part of a Turn It On Again medley for Atlantic Records' 40th birthday party. But yeah, Phil, Phil loves this song. So apart from your bigot outing, do you like this track then? Oh, I've not outed him. He outed himself. <laughs> he has done many, many times. <laughs> I mean, he's noted anti-vaxxer and racist, yeah. so, you know. Two for two there. <laughs> so everybody's favourite. <laughs> everybody's favourite <laughs> yeah, uncle look, racist. <laughs> but it's not surprising Phil loves it, because Phil likes a pop song, doesn't he? He does and, like a pop song. He does like a pop song. I mean, you can say what you like about Phil, and they do. Um, but, mm. you know, as we all know... He was in a band called Genesis. I think some people yep. have heard of that. Um, yeah. But it's like when he did do his solo stuff, he went completely pop. So it's hardly surprising that he thought this was a corker. Because this, you can imagine Phil singing this. It's right up his street, isn't it? Style and tonal-wise. Yeah, it is. In fact, you don't need to imagine because I'm going to drop a clip of that in now because you can find it on YouTube. So get ready, listeners. Here's a clip of Phil singing All I Need Is A Miracle from the party at the, the picnic or whatever it's called. Boom! What was it? Party at the picnic? Picnic at the party? Picnic at the party or something. I don't know. Something like that. Picnic party at the garden or something. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah. 
Picnic at the Lake or something Could like that. A a concert picnic. anyway. One in front. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, second single from the album and the better choice, I think. Yeah. Also, it was nominated for a Grammy. Mm. It was. In 1987. Two years after the album. Yeah, but I don't know what for. For some strange reason, I can't find out what this was nominated for. It can't be from the album because it's two years later. So was it used on a soundtrack or something? But, no idea. It's really weird, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but like nominated... Two years after the release. Yeah, nominated for Best Pop Performance by a, by a duo or group. Yeah. But... <laughs> Maybe they're just really lazy at the Grammys and everything's two years late. Or they just got the CD and went, oh, what's this doing at the bottom of the cupboard? Oh, my! <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we promised Mike Rutherford a Grammy. Oh! <laughs> Oops. Do it anyway. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I just I, when I saw that, I was, I was it took me ages. I was looking forever trying to figure out what it was nominated for, but I, I couldn't find it attached to any film or television show or anything. Yeah, as far as I know, it wasn't on any. It was just a song. There you go. Which is shame because it's it crying out to be used in a film. Yeah, but no, this is this is a great single, and you can understand why they release this. As you said earlier, with Silent Running, which we agreed yeah. is a great single, but this should have been the first one off it. It should. Because it's it's a toe tapper, this one. It is. And you know what? This is a great single, and I find it really hard to believe that it completely tanked in the UK and only got to number 53. But as that we were seems saying, bizarre Yeah, but as we were me. saying a while ago, um, well, it seems like days ago when we did the intro now, mm. and I'm sure our listeners will agree with this, there was so much going on in the UK charts at that time. We had so many new music styles starting. If you were mm. a person watching top of the pops or whatever was on the radio or whatever at that time you had a, yeah. such a choice of what style of music you're going to follow so many bands and albums fell by the wayside purely because of the, mm. the total number of choices that you had then the fact yeah. that you you got a chance to to pick a genre that you liked was a miracle considering you got a choice of about 400 all you needed was a miracle all apparently. you needed was a miracle yeah just to find yeah. something yeah. to listen to I mean, don't get me wrong, that was a, yeah, I, yeah, I got it. It just wasn't funny. Um, <laughs> you see what I did there? Uh, see what I did? Everybody, everybody saw what you did, Simon, <laughs> and it wasn't big and it wasn't clever. Um, <laughs> no, but it's like, it, it was such a hectic time, the, the mid-80s, musically, early and mm. early to mid-80s. was There was there was stuff going out, stuff coming in, and so much stuff got lost by the wayside. Um you know, it's, it's not surprising. Yeah, it is not. But yeah, it did really well in the USA and Canada again. It got number five in the USA, number 10 in Canada. So at least they appreciated it, I suppose. Yeah. It'd be mm. interesting to know what, what it was up against when it came out. But I don't know the dates it came out. Was it November it 7th? It would have been up against uh, Phil Collins' No Jacket Required singles, I I would imagine. So they were probably they were probably pretty much popped out from Genesis' point of view then. Quite probably. Yeah. Quite probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a fantastic pop song. I think it's catchy, it's memorable, brilliant. Yeah. Really good. Shall we go par avion to the next track? Or by plane, as we say in England? By plane?
track's an interesting one, right? And I'm predicting you're not going to like this track, but hear me out first of all, because that song is both ahead of its time and behind the times, because that opening drum, that sort of, I can't describe how it goes right now, but you know, the opening drum machine. You mean the boring bit? Yeah, that sounds like it could be off something like We Can't Dance, because it sounds a bit like the, um, you know, the drive in the last spike where it's got the drum, the same sound. I do. But the song as a whole sounds like it's from the middle of the 70s. Yeah. So all combined, it's terrible. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's terrible, but I'm predicting you're saying it's terrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am, pretty much. Having said that, though, yes. I will point out that this song was saved from the trash can purely by the vocals. The singing on this is superb. Yeah, it's John Kirby, who is from uh, Heatwave, which, again, I mentioned earlier on, I don't know anything about. But yeah, he delivers a really nice vocal. I think he yeah. does really well. That, that The vocals save what is otherwise a boring and tawdry song. Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't entirely agree with you that it's boring and tawdry, but it's not a great track. I listened to it and I wouldn't skip over it, but compared to the first two tracks, it's a bit of a downer, isn't it? A bit yeah, of a dip. yeah. We've, we've slowed right down again. I mean, Genesis usually, when we've listened to some, you know, some other albums, not just Genesis, but the other ones, you get yeah. this powerful opening track, then it goes mm. slow, and then it starts building yeah. again. This has had two really solid tracks, and now it's sort of really jammed on the brakes at this point definitely really jam the brakes off so it's 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 hard i didn't like it um purely because i didn't think musically it was interesting mm. vocally it was very good i liked that i think i'd have preferred an acapella version of this whole track to be honest to mm. what was going on in the background but i don't think this has enough even with the great vocals i don't think it has enough to really save it as a good song yeah well it's it's interesting that they don't really do anything. I mean, this album as a whole, just jumping forward in time a little bit, isn't really indicative of the Mike and the Mechanics sound. So they don't really do this sort of song again because they go, when they're doing ballads in future, they'll do more acoustic guitar. They won't really do another song that sounds like this again after this album. But there's probably which, a good reason for that. I mean, yeah. I don't think it works very yeah. well, but I know you do, yeah. so I'm, I'm not going to argue with you. I'll... But funnily enough... Mike originally wanted this track to be quite a heavy um, drum-based track, but Chris Neal talked him into making it into a slow ballad. <laughs> mm. Well, that was that, you know, that was a mistake because, um, as we said, we like the vocals. Um, it's just mm. a shame about the boring yeah. track. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, I'd be interested to hear that original idea, but I don't think they ever recorded it. I think it was just an idea, and Mike went, "Yeah, do this," and Chris went, "No, I don't think so." Well, going by what we've said so far about this album, maybe it's due for a, a re-edit. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to hear a, an updated version of this album. To be fair, yeah, but Mike's not into remastering his old albums, though. So you know, although he's going on tour with Mike and the Mechanics next year, so maybe is he really you never know. Wow, he is, yeah, dragging him out of the cupboard. Now he hasn't got a main job. Well, he was touring Mike and the Mechanics between about. 2016 and 2020 until the pandemic hit. So there you go. He was supporting Phil Collins on Phil's Not Dead Yet tour. There you go. Okay. That likes you. That makes you laugh every time, doesn't it? it? Does. <laughs> the fact that Phil Collins called his tour Still Not Dead Yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a lovely, lovely title for a tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is his next tour going to be Still Still Not Dead? <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah. Look, I'm a, look, I'm here. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> But yeah, so that was it. Yeah, bit all right. I mean, it was all right. Yeah, not great. Yeah, but yeah. Shall we move on to the next song? Yeah, which is "Hanging by a Thread."
well, another complete change in style. Yeah, up tempo yet again. We're back up there. Yeah, Paul Young back doing another fantastic rock vocal on that. I think this is probably the most rocky track on the album, isn't it? Yes, it is, I think. Um, I was I was thinking maybe one of the later tracks might be, but I think probably no. This one actually is. <laughs> yeah, it's really enjoy- I really like this track, mm. and I think one of the things that I really like it's subtle. It's really subtle, but Mike's bass mm. playing on this. There's a lovely bass track at the back of this that I really yes. like. You can hear it coming through the speakers because it's just slightly louder than a normal bass you'd expect as a backing mm. track and it just really yep. carries a rhythm nicely it does so that keyboard sound dates it i think that spoon hat hat spoon that dates it a little bit <laughs> that dates you a little bit doesn't it yeah um but then it comes in i can't decide is that a keyboard solo or is that a guitar solo i thought it was keyboard see i thought it was guitar you think it's a one of those synth guitar things yeah but i can't i don't know it's one of those maybe a musician maybe a musician out there will be able to to email us and tell us it's a synth guitar doesn't it count as a synth well i don't know i don't know or is it like a a guitar with an effect on it to make it sound a bit more synthy i don't know i've always thought it was a guitar solo but recently listening to it, it does sound more like a keyboard. Yeah, but at this time, as I recall, wasn't Mike quite fond of his synth guitar thing? He was. Yeah, yeah. He was. So, so, so that's why. Yeah, I'm just not sure. But I love that anyway. When that that synth slash keyboard slash guitar solo comes in, oh, yeah. Oof, what ever happened it. to those? By the way, I haven't seen one of those since know. the 80s. You know what else you don't see anymore? White keyboard dog ties and white dog poo. Yeah. Keyboard ties. Yeah. You don't see them anymore, do you? you? Do not do even the Stones don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, I love that. But don't you think this could be like the end credits to an action movie? Or yeah. you know, easily, <laughs> easily. And this yeah. is another one that I think if it was just slightly remixed, a little heavier, you can release yeah. this today. Brilliant. I mean, I always love putting this on when I wanted to rock out. That's how sad I was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but you like listen to Morrissey, so almost anything is this... rock out yeah. for you, isn't it? No. When this came out, I didn't like listening to Morrissey because I wasn't into Morrissey. Then. Nobody likes listening to Morrissey. People listen to Morrissey as a version of self-hatred. Yes, but I didn't hate myself back then. <laughs> <laughs> so what changed to make you hate yourself? Wait, isn't that when I first met you? <laughs> yes, shortly after I met you, I started listening to Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> Cause and effect. <laughs> uh, but yeah, love this. This track... Because I've got this album, or I had this album on vinyl, still I've got it on vinyl. But this track is the last track on side one. So this finishes the side and you just like almost forces you to get up and change the record over to listen to the next side because it just ends so well. And it it ends so close to the end of the record that as soon as it goes, you know, the end, yeah, it just ends. Dun-dun-dun. Needle lifts off almost immediately afterwards. Wow, that's surprising because so far out of all these tracks, I don't think we've had like 15 minutes worth of, of actual track, have we? Well, the album itself is only 39 minutes long that's not, bad. that's not a bad length. So it's not a bad length for a vinyl album. But yeah, it is. there are only four tracks on the first side and this is the last track on that side. But Oh, gone are the yeah. days when we used to turn vinyl over. Except, of course, I they're didn't. coming back. They are coming back. Mm. So let's flip the disc and go on to the next track because I get the feeling that you'll enjoy this one. Jesus, I hate working with you. 
feeling yes i mean the first thing that came to my mind when i listened to this track was wow where did this come from did Hugh yeah, lewis throw this one out or something that organ sound this is, i love that yeah but it's such a change in tone and tempo again mm. but it doesn't yeah. it doesn't belong on this album because this should yeah. be on a Huey lewis album yeah it does actually yeah you're right i hadn't thought i i didn't connected those two actually but yeah you're probably right i think i've not listened to a lot of huey lewis but yes having said that 19 mm. when did this come out 84 85 when did Five. sports make it big huey lewis sports 86? that was yeah somewhere around there wasn't it i think it was i thought mm. it was 84 but i may be wrong mm. but yeah I'm not saying there's any plagiarism or anything involved here <laughs> but um yes. yeah this is this is um oh, swing it swing your pants love this is this is a real huey lewis belter this one yeah However, having said that, and I use the word belter quite wrong because it is quite naff as well. Yeah, but it's throwaway pop, isn't it? It works. Yeah, but in that respect. The thing I didn't like about this track was that you've got this mm. this great Huey Lewis esque, shall we say, yeah. tune rocking yeah. away there, and you're ready to smile, but yes. the song isn't, isn't a smiley song. <laughs> it's not, is it? The lyrics don't yeah. go with this with this with this let's have fun soundtrack at all <laughs> yeah no it doesn't at all it's like i get the feeling you're gonna leave me and you hate me hooray let's party <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like if you were saying those words you're on prozac or something this might make some sort of sense but yeah not no they're at odds with each other the, the vocals and the the music on yeah. this one it's another one of those isn't it we have this throughout the various solo genesis albums where it's a really upbeat tune with a really actually dark or depressing lyric yeah it, it seems to be a, a theme amongst the the solos as you say but yeah, yeah. we have come across this three i think once on every album just about <laughs> at least but, but yeah. this is this is this is a good example of that though. it is it is i mean as the music you want to smile and you want to dance and you want to have a good do. time and then you listen you to do. the lyrics and you want to go into the toilets and cry. <laughs> yeah, I really, I, I, no, I agree. I think this is great. I think the only only thing I would change music-wise is instead of using the synth horns, I'd have used a real horn yeah, section. I thought that when I was listening to it. I thought, why would you use mm. a synth version when, when you know, it's the 80s. There's a horn yeah. player in, on every corner just about. Well, Genesis have used horn players on Abacab, haven't they? So... It's not like Mike doesn't know anybody. Every recording <laughs> studio has got a horn player hanging around somewhere mm. in the 80s. Yeah, maybe it was because of the way they recorded it, because they recorded obviously all the music first and then fished about for vocalists. Maybe mm. that's why they just didn't think about it. But saying that, mm. playing devil's advocate, or more likely yes. the devil, if you're doing devil's it that avocado. way... Yes, the devil's avocado. If you yeah. say that, then they, but they did all the music beforehand somewhere else and then mm. looked at the lyrics later. Doesn't that mm. give you um, more time to concentrate on the music you're making then? Well, they they wrote the lyrics. They just hadn't recorded the lyrics until later. Yeah. So, I don't so, know. So, you know, you're recording, you're recording the music, you, you, mm. and you're not doing anything else. You might as well pay attention yeah. to the music. And yeah. as you say, the first thing you do is go out and find a good sax player and get them to do yeah. this, or horns yeah, or whatever just, it was on that. Just get the Phoenix horns. Yeah. yeah. Cool, yeah. Phil. Phil, can I borrow the Phoenix horns for an yeah. afternoon? There you go. Oh, of course you can, Mike. What do you need them for? What do you need them for? Oh, I've just got a song. <laughs> I want to put them on. Oh, well, uh, send him over. Now stick him in a taxi and I'll make him, make him some lunch and uh, send him over. They'll behave themselves. <laughs> 
Don't feed them after midnight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and uh, and Billy's not allowed any Coca Cola because it sends him a bit wappy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, as you say, it could have happened just like that. Exactly, I'm sure it did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love, I love this track. I think it's great. Uh, I think... I'd like to, but the lyrics, the the, the music, I'm sorry, but, but I've heard so much Huey Lewis because I like Huey Lewis. Mm. Um, yes. But this just seems a bit secondhand Huey Lewis. So it, it's, mm, it sounds... Secondhand news. Yeah, it sounds a little jaded, maybe. And mm. because the lyrics don't stand up to the music... That puts yeah. me off a little bit as well. So I wasn't a big fan of this. Don't mind it. Yeah. But uh, I can't I can't give it a thumbs up. I think it's an obvious single though. I'm surprised it wasn't released as a single. <sighs> Huey Lewis was big then. It would have sounded mm. horrible. Maybe if Huey Lewis was big, that's all the more reason to release it as a single. Yeah, but then everybody went, Oh, is that Huey Lewis on the radio? Mm. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. So Oh well. Let's move on. Okay. Next track. Which is Take the Reins. Track. See, I call this sort of music in my own head, and I've never said it out loud until now, so nobody knows about it. So don't ask anybody well, maybe, if I've said it before. Maybe you shouldn't say it out loud. <laughs> you remember what I told you about things that go on in your head? <laughs> Filter them before you say them out loud. I refer to this as Miami Vice music because it sounds exactly like Miami Vice. You know, this is really weird. We're kind of almost on the same track. Do you know what I wrote in my notes? Miami Vice. This sounds like an unused track on the Ferris Bueller's Day Off soundtrack. Mm, yes, same sort of era, yeah. Yeah, but it's it, it's got that feel about it, hasn't it? Yeah, but as far as I know, this was never used in Miami Vice, but it sounds like it is Miami Vice. Yeah, yeah. It sounds it's like the musical embodiment of Miami Vice. That is part of the problem with this track. It sounds mm. so 80s. It, it has aged well, yeah. um, as in the fact that it's just of its time now. This this isn't one that's like some of the other tracks on here, which which were recorded in the 80s, but sound good mm -hmm. now. This was recorded yep. in the 80s, 
and sounds like it's stuck there. You know what else I think dates it? And this is something you don't tend to get anymore, right? And it's middle-aged white men pretending to be tough guys. Like, this whole lyric is about how tough this they are, and you know... Arnold Schwarzenegger made a film career out of that. He's not. He wasn't a middle-aged tough guy then. No, no, he's an old-aged <laughs> tough guy. But but what I'm talking about is these middle-aged white guys like Mike, who's a public school boy, posh boy, pretending to be tough guys. Yeah. You know, Kenny Loggins, <laughs> Donald Fagan, yeah. Starship. You know, yeah. we built this city on rock and roll. Did you, Eck? <laughs> that song's not rock and roll at all. But yeah, it's all these white, you know, white posh boys talking about how tough they really are. Yeah. And you don't get songs like that anymore. Yeah, well, it's not like... know, now Mike's got to talk about his tough times on the streets that he had as a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. as a kid, you know? <laughs> it's like, there's a lyric in this that makes me laugh every time I hear it. It's like, it's like something like, um, you could be off the scene, you could be disappeared. It's yeah. like, what? You what? But Mike, you, sure? you, don't know, you don't know how hard it was when I was going through school. You couldn't get Earl Grey anywhere. <laughs> it's like the ultimate Karen yeah. as a guy. Like, yeah. Can I speak to your manager because I'm going to get you fired? <laughs> Because <laughs> this isn't like, how I like my salad. <laughs> but yes, I think that more than the music makes it sound really dated. Yeah, I think. I mean, the yeah. music does make it sound a bit dated as well. But those sort of lyrics, you just don't get anymore. This, I mean, it seems really odd. There's a lot of stuff that comes from the eighties that's around now, and but most of it mm. that survived that people still listen to is still listened to because it was particularly good. Yes, yeah. Or popular. This this has the distinction of not being either. Well, I do think this has a really, really good guitar solo, though. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, middle, the, which the, is a guitar solo. <laughs> this isn't this isn't a truly bad track it's fine yeah you know it's just it's just not particularly memorable and it's it's mm. of its time so much that it mm. is forgettable for that at the time yeah. you'd have probably loved it now yeah. and the problem is we can't look at it through 80s eyes as much as it no, would be nice to review stuff through that sort of perspective yeah. you know time marches yeah. on and we're reviewing it now um, exactly time has not marched on well for this track well as Big Big Train had said, time moves on, don't let it leave you behind. Mm. There you go. Anyway, um, yeah, I just I just wonder why it was such a big thing in the 80s for posh white guys to pretend to be tough in their songs. Just You know what it was? It's a peculiarly an 80s yeah. phenomenon, I think. What it was was Miami Vice is to blame. Because oh, yeah, a lot of true, white actually. guys started going around with jackets with their sleeves rolled up, <laughs> yes, pretending to be tough. right. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. tough. I've got my sleeves rolled up on a jacket, and I haven't yeah. ironed it at all this morning. Yeah, Don yeah. Johnson. Exactly. Look at me. I'm I'm wearing my t-shirt under my shirt instead of a shirt. And I'm not wearing socks. I mean, Magnum as well, really. Don't you dare say anything against Magnum. Don't you dare. <laughs> oh God, I'm moving on. Moving on Move to the on. next track. You are the one. You are the one.
Oh god, I hate this track. I knew you would. Yeah, it's tedious. Now this one really, really, really does sound like a total 70s throwback. Yeah. Sounds like it's from like the, the Delphonics or Gilbert O'Sullivan or somebody. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's well sung. Mm -hmm. Can't fault the singing on this. I heard that rumour. Sung. Well sung. John Kirby's well sung. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that rumour. <laughs> But yeah, he's, yeah, he's not a bad performance, but yeah. Yeah, but the ever repetitive use of the chorus makes this mm. sound so tedious because the chorus yeah. is about every 15 and a half seconds. Yeah, it's true. And the music's not, again, it's another one that's like the last one he sang. It's the music's not very interesting, really, is it? No, it's not really. Kind of really. one note almost. No. But well sung. Um, I mean, yeah, it, to be it, fair, he does the best he can with what he's got at hand. He does. But I think the opening of it shows a potential. It, it could have gone somewhere else because that, that sort of ding, 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 and then the opening lyric, and then it could have gone off into a bit more of an epic. Yeah, but didn't. And it doesn't. Nah. So, yeah. So I think this is the worst track on the album, I think. So, yeah, I mean, John, like I say, John Kirby, good performance, but you can see why they didn't use him again. Yeah, yeah, really. They settled on the two singers. The thing but... is, though, I could have listened to more of John Kirby's singing. Mm. I just don't think they gave him the material on this album. No, I suppose not. I suppose not. We shall never know. We don't. I'm, I'm going to try and find something about heatwave and see what they sound like see if they sound like this or whether they sound different yeah why not in the meantime let's move on to the next track which is a call to arms So we mentioned in the intro that one of the tracks on this album was credited to Phil, Tony and Mike, as well as, oh my God, about 10 million other people. Um, and this is that one. This is based on a little bit of music from the Genesis album sessions. Yes, it is. Um, and they didn't use it. They did not use no, it. They didn't. Mike liked it, but Tony and Phil didn't. So Mike basically said, oh, guys, can I use that and turn it into another song? And they went, eh. Yeah, sure, well, whatever, we don't want it chucking it away, aren't we? Is that how it actually went, do you think? That's exactly what happened, yeah. yeah. And then Chris and B.A. Robertson got hold of it. Almost like you were in the room, isn't it? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. And turned into this song. What do you think? Well, 
I don't think it's a great song. It's not bad, mm-hmm. but it's not great. However, the one thing for me that saves this, and it's a tiny yeah. thing because it doesn't get much space on here, is the yeah. backing vocals by Linda Taylor. Oh, yes, yes. She's very good on this, actually, yeah. She is very good, and she is so underused on this track. I think she only gets, mm. like, two words or something. But yeah. they, 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 make, they, they stand out on this track. They do. And this has got three vocalists on it, including Linda Taylor's backing vocals, because this is mostly sung by Paul Carrick. But the whispery vocals are by Gene Shastuk from the band Red Seven. It's kind of a, the duet between the two of them. I've never heard of uh, Shed Seven. Red Seven. Shed Seven. <laughs> uh, Red Seven was the band that Mike produced that I mentioned in the intro um, and I had such a horrible time producing he decided never to produce ever again. Yeah, um, yeah. Their album is on Spotify. It's all right. I've listened to it a couple of times. A couple of the tracks are good, but overall it's all right. Um, but yeah, I think that interplay between him and Paul Carrick really works though on this track. Yes, yeah. Um, I think that's kind of breathy vocals then going into Paul Carrick's more lusty performance. Lusty, lusty. Lusty. Yeah. Um, it gives it a really strong feel. It's not a great track, but it's not a bad track. I really like it, actually. I think, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I, it's probably my second possibly third favorite on the album yeah i'd I'd put it up to my fourth but Mm. yeah but i think it could have been so much better yeah but i can see why genesis didn't touch it with a barge pole because it's quite out of their ballpark isn't it i wonder which bit was the bit that they used i reckon it's the do 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 bit i reckon i thought it was the da 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 yeah maybe you could be right i don't know we'll never know but lyrically i think this sounds like a continuation of silent running yeah i thought that it seems to be another viewpoint of the same story to me maybe like after the whatever war or whatever that happens in silent runnings happened this is what comes afterwards a few years later with the resistance movement could well be could well be he's got a nice bass breakdown towards the end of the chorus that bit there yes it has um yeah and the, the drums are almost military, which gives it that feel to it's it. A slight sense of urgency as well, I thought. Yeah, mm. yes, yeah. yeah. So that, that that's one of the reasons I like it. It's kind of, when I said earlier about Hanging by a Thread, this is the one that I was thinking of that maybe was heavier. I don't think it is. No, it's, it's definitely not. It's not, but it, it, it has got the same sort of feel to it, I yeah. think. But, yeah. Yeah. but I, I love this song. I think the only problem with it is it fades out too soon. Um, yeah. I agree. On it that. reminded me of calling all stations from that it point. It does, of doesn't view. it? It just because sort of I was like, halfway what, through. What? You go, what the, surely there's more to this track. Have we yeah. run out of space? Where's it going? Yeah. yeah. What? Oh, no. yeah. yeah but did, I do like this song. It did feel like it finished a little too soon. It did. Um, but I like this song. I wouldn't skip it. No, I would definitely not skip it. I just don't think. When I say it's, it's not great, I mean, I mm. think it could have been greater. Yes, possibly. Um, but, but no, it's, it's a perfectly good track, and I will put it down as. Yeah perhaps my fourth favourite on this album so far. Yes. So there's not many tracks on this album, so we're going into the final track, which was the third single, which was released only, only in the USA and Canada, and that is Taken In. This is 
possibly release this as a single? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm expecting you hate this song, but I don't mind it. But I don't know why it was a single. Why, why do seems... you think I hate it? What possibly makes you think I hate it, <laughs> other than the fact that I hate it? Yeah, exactly. It's a, exactly the type of song you hate. But I don't hate it, but I don't understand why it was a single either. Not got, because... It's not got single potential at all, this track. No. It's like... What? <laughs> I mean, all right. It's quite 80s in the fact that he has a little soft sax halfway through. Yeah, I mean, it reminded me of something like um, like an end of the bar, end of the night song that you'd get in a film. So, it's, Or in a real you know, bar when you're trying to get rid of everybody. Or in a real bar, yeah. Put this on, everybody's out. Everybody leaves. Um, <laughs> I think it just about stays this side of cheesy. Just. But only just. Just. It suffers from the fact that it's not very exciting either. There's yeah. nothing really interesting in this track. There's no yeah. interesting... I mean, we're on about the little soft sax, but even that's not mm. particularly interesting, and that's the closest no. thing to a solo on this track. Yeah, but having said that, I do think it's the only track on this album that could have finished the album. <laughs> I can't imagine well, any of the other tracks finishing the album. No, but I would have preferred more of Call to Arms... And the yeah. shorter version of this. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. Um, but again, this fades out. Yeah. He's yeah. still singing, and it fades out. What is Mike's obsession? Now, Why can, does he hate can, singers so much? I completely <laughs> understand his reasoning on this, because I wanted to fade it out halfway through as well. <laughs> you think he was there in the production booth? And, and, of course, uh, enough all, of that. All, all, young, down. all young was singing away. Like, oh, no, I had enough of that now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's <laughs> exactly how it happened. <laughs> oh, that's quite enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably actually. But, yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to say I don't mind it. It wasn't a massive single. It got to number thirty-two in the USA, number thirty-nine in Canada. So nowhere near, nowhere near as popular as the other two singles, yeah. which is understandable. It really is. I don't it's, know why. I don't understand why. It's I don't like it. You like it because you're an old softy. Yeah, yeah. Likes a strong word. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mind I, it. I have a heart of stone. You do. Everybody knows that. Yeah. I have a heart of glass. Well, the people I've crushed under my iron fist know it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So that's the album. Yeah. Short but sweet. Short Let's... but sweet. Well, for 39 minutes, not that short, but sweet. Yeah. Let's go into what our thoughts are on the overall thing. Let's. So, I think it's an enjoyable album. I think there's more good on the album than bad. Um, and I think Mike 100% made the right decision to collaborate with somebody else. If only on the vocals. Because this is head and shoulders overacting very strange. It is. And I think, going to give my uh, my verdict earlier, I think he's on a par with Small Creeps Day. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Don't get me wrong, I, I too like this album. I was quite surprised by how much I enjoy it. Bar one or two tracks, which are not bad, but subpar, shall we yeah. say. Yeah. Um, no, I really enjoyed this album, um, but I don't think it's a, a small creeps day in any any. Mm. No, no, no. I I do. I think song wise, the the songs are of the same quality and standard as Small Creeps Day. I would put them both on a level. But fair enough. They are different types of music. Bearing in mind, as they well. are different, types they of music, are different albums. But I like them both. I mean, and as you know. I never liked Small Creeps Day until we started doing this podcast. That's and true. That's it. true. But then I've had the same. I've had the same experience with listening to some Genesis albums, which I was mm. previously marginally okay with. Yeah. Um, and now we've actually sat down and you know really listened to them 
it seems endlessly and mm. um, torn them apart and, you know, really thought about the individual tracks. I find I like some of those albums more than any of the others now. It's weird. Yeah, well, there you go, learn other things. But I think the songs are well-written, they're well-produced. Um, I think all the musicians involved do a fantastic job, including the singers. Um, I, I actually really like it a lot. I think it's a good album. I'm going to just zero in on something you've just said, and I think the yes. one outstanding thing on this is the variety of singers. I think that adds yes. so much to this album. Does it really does? I think the fact that it was written the way it was written, with no intention of making an album, and no expectation of there being a group, and Mike just writing songs, benefits it because they're all so diverse. Yeah, the, you know the songs, each song's different, and that spoiler alert is going to spoil future Mike and the Mechanics albums really? when they move away from that style. Mm. This this album. I like this album, but this album is not representative of Mike and the Mechanics. Right. Okay. I would say. Okay. What do you think? I think perhaps one of the things that, that was in their favour on this album was perhaps because they didn't have the pressure of having an end product in mind that yeah. gave them time to experiment and try a few different things. And yeah. you know, generally take longer writing the individual tracks. Mm. And I think yeah, that shows because some, some of the tracks on here are going to be sticking with me for a very long time because I really, yeah. really like some of these tracks. If I if I do a compilation of favourite tracks this week, um, yeah. there will be about four or five on here that will go on to that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. And they were they were free from... Yeah, they, they weren't trying to write a hit single. Yeah, plus they were free from interference by a record company that was trying to yeah. you know, get them to do exactly. stuff. Exactly. Um, don't get me wrong, a good record company might have yeah. said, you know, we're going to send a good producer down who might mm. give you a few hints about perhaps some of the sounds. Yeah. That might have helped on a few tracks, um, but it's only a couple of tracks that could probably have done a little tinkle here and there. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, Chris Neal was a big producer in the early to mid-80s and, and beyond as well. So, you know, he was that big producer. He'd had loads of successful albums. As we mentioned in the intro yeah, to the, yeah, this episode. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he was he was that producer, really. The fact that there weren't record execs coming in and saying, oh, you should change that, make that into a single. You should do that. You should slow that one down. You know, we were talking about Peter Gabriel's third album. Yes. And how, I'm forgetting the guy's name now, that um, Atlantic Record Company executive was coming in telling Paul Peter to something wasn't it? I can't remember I've, his name is blanked from my memory um, and he was coming in telling Peter to sound like the Doobie Brothers yes yes. they I didn't have anybody coming in and saying that's not commercial enough you need to doobie it up mm. like, oh doobie's okay <laughs> but on the flip side of that you've got Chris who was closely working and on mm. writing these maybe he yeah. was too close to nitpick it possibly, possibly. but Mike has said that you know Chris and him worked really well together because Mike could come up with an idea and Chris would, would focus on particular parts of it. And, and it, there's a quote, um, I think it's in Mike's autobiography, where he says that one of the songs on here, I think Hanging by a Thread, but I might be wrong, was a teeny tiny piece of a song that Mike had given to Chris. Uh, literally 10, 15 seconds. And Chris picked it out and went work on that. And that turned into one of the songs on the album. Mm. And it was nothing like the rest of the thing Mike had presented to him. So Chris was good. And having listened to the Corona Diaries, which is Steve Hogarth's podcast, um, Chris Neal's been on there a couple of times and they talked about Holidays in Eden. And that was what he was doing with them as well. He was picking riffs and saying, you turn that into a song. 
pull that, turn that into a song. Um, so that's his forte, really. Yeah. Mm. And he, he's doing it and making it commercial at the same time. But I think just the fact that there was no pressure meant they could come up with this album. I mean, having said everything I said, though, I think yes. they've still got a product here that they can be very proud of. Oh, definitely, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think there's, there's a couple of, like you say, subpar. But they're not so subpar that you, you know, it makes you vomit. On, 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 <laughs> to be to be absolutely frank, on an yeah. album with nine tracks, you've got six mm. belters. Yeah, 100%. Definitely. Yeah. I agree. And out of the other uh, three, only one, well, only two are a bit iffy. Yeah. The other one's just average. Yes. And six belters on an album, that's not bad yeah. going. And you wouldn't skip those tracks no. either well, because you wouldn't be bothered because there's only nine tracks. You'd be like, there's only nine maybe tracks. Maybe taken in, I'd skip. What would be the point? It's near the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life's too short. You, you've got to get up and turn that crap track off. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. So overall, your your thoughts then? I mean, you give me some of your thoughts. You like it? I hadn't heard any Mike and Mechanics before this, mm-hmm. um, apart from whatever's been on the radio but I haven't really paid attention. This is the first time listening to this album, first time really listening to Mike and the Mechanics. I have Mm -hmm. to say, off the bat, quite impressed. I've enjoyed 80% of this album, and the the other 20% has been just okay. But none of it's been so bad that I want to run screaming from the room. (laughs) I think 80% 80 good is knockout in anybody's books. Yes. Yeah, good. So we're agreed. It's pretty good. What's your favourite Mike album so far? I don't need to ask, really, do I? Because I, I think you're going to tell me small creep. Yes, you are a small creep. But hey, 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 hey. but my <laughs> favourite one, yes, yeah, small creeps day. I have to say, I yeah. really was surprised by how much I enjoyed that album. Good. Hmm. Me too. I think it had a, a more emotional context than this one. Yeah. So anyway, that's Mike and the Mechanics' first album. What do you think, listeners? Send us an email to revelationstationpodcast at gmail dot com, or find us on Facebook. Or, if you really want to be nice, you can donate to us by subscribing on Patreon. Become a patron for £1 a month and you can get bonus episodes. There's going to be several bonus episodes coming out after this one, providing I get around to recording them in time. So, get on Patreon. You get these episodes a week early as well. Also, our next album to listen to... Oh my gosh, Gary, I can barely barely contain the excitement telling you this because you're going to be so pleased so am pleased am i you're going to be so pleased am I because though? we've already mentioned it in this episode already no so no jack no. required oh. by phil collins oh, no 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 why 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 would you do that dog god <laughs> oh my god so, i think i've disturbed the sloth i thought he'd gone back to sleep no oh god i've made eye contact Oh, oh god! Oh. Right, sorry, listeners. We're gonna have to get on with uh, with avoiding this sloth. So find us on Facebook, join us on Patreon, donate to coffee, buymeacoffee.com if you want to do that. But just let's move into this. Right, so you've disturbed the sloth. It's still moving really slowly. Is it still moving? Can you just check? Because I'm not sure if it's moving or not. Don't know. I'm looking. I'm looking. It's definitely moving. Let's keep still then and not disturb it anymore. Well, this is taking ages. That sloth is going crazily slow. Yeah, but he's got a very determined look in his eye. That is one crazy mad sloth. 
Yeah, but we can't hang around here all day. We have a treasure to find. Where's the local museum? For the last time, it's not going to be in a museum, you fool. We have a map to the location. Let's take this jeep into town and get our bearings. I can't see anyone following us. Maybe the Miguel thing was just a threat and he isn't watching. Yeah, maybe. What's, what's that piece of paper on the dashboard? It's a note. Read it. What does it say? It says, I'm watching you. Sign Miguel. Oh, he's very good. What are we going to do? I'm thinking. Wow! Will this day of surprises never end? Shut up and look at the map. I think I saw a village near here. Maybe we can get help there. Yes, it's just a bit further down this road. And according to the book, the first clue is in a place called Hando's Bar. If Miguel is watching, we at least have to look like we're looking for the treasure. Step on it. Right, grab the stuff out of the jeep and let's... So, we meet at last. At last? That assumes we were looking for you. And we weren't. I don't think. Who the hell are you? My name is not important. Well, let's hope your parents thought so. Or they might have called you something weird like Susan or Jessica. Well, they didn't. My name is Pedro. Wow, imagine that. Meeting someone in South America called Pedro. What are the odds? Yeah, you were right. Your name isn't important. Now, who are you, fish face, and why are you pointing a gun at us? I told you, my name is Pedro, and you have something I want, I think. Not this again. I'm very flattered. You think? Have you just been holding people up in this town all morning on the off chance they have something you want? No, no. Just you. And I think you have a map I want. (gasps) You don't mean... Yes. Give me the map to El Loco Diablo. Where now? Sorry, we don't have that map. We have this map. Is this the one? Oh, no. That's a map of the Peak District. Maybe you aren't who I'm looking for. Uh, okay. Have a nice day. Before you go, you odd little man, can you tell us which way is Hando's Bar? Oh, sure. Straight down the avenue and on the left. Thanks. What an odd little man. Great moustache, though. Yeah, bushy. Come on. It's a good job you carry that map with you. I never thought it would come in useful out here, though. Well, here we are. Wow, what a great little bar. It reminds me of our pub. Do you remember, on the opening night, you couldn't move in the bar area. Hmm. I don't remember it being that busy. It wasn't. The floor paint hadn't dried yet. Wow, that is a lot of guns. <laughs> and they're pointing at us. Uh. You have been listening to the Revelation Station podcast from the Revelation Station. Produced, performed, directed and written by Simon Heldrick and Gary Starr, two men who should know better. You can email us at revelationstationpodcast at gmail.com, find us on Facebook at the Revelation Station podcast, or head to our website revelationstationpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this show, you can donate by searching for The Revelation Station at buymeacoffee.com 
or head to Patreon where you'll find us at patreon.com slash revelationstationpodcast. There you can subscribe for £1 a month and receive podcasts a week early as well as additional content and bonus episodes throughout the year. This has been a Revelation Station production. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Job Boom. done. Boom. Job's a good one. Another episode in the can.